SequelCast 2 and Friends is a part of the HyperX Podcast Network. I'd like you to meet uh, Harold and uh, Ira. Toyota, are you Japanese? Heck no, boy. I'm Korean. Why do you talk like that? South Korean. After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast. And they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast. And your hosts have asked that I inform you that the show will now begin. Hello and welcome to Sequel Cast 2 and Friends, a podcast looking at movies and franchise one film at a time. This time we're looking at Revenge of the Nerds 3, The Next Generation. Came out in 1992, uh, directed by Roland Mesa. This was um, made for TV on Fox and stars the normal people from Revenge of the Nerds, but also has like Morton Downey Jr. is in there um, with me. Fresh from Predator 2. That's right. And uh, Alex? Lambda, lambda, lambda. We don't discriminate. We just ask you to keep your GPA at 3.8. That's right. So <laughs> this one... Um, Listeners, so we had recorded this episode a while ago, but I had forgotten to uh, hit the record button last time. So this is a, a redo, so this, it's uh, kind of bear with us, but this going to be kind of um, tricky to record sometimes. But here with Revenge of the Nerds 3, uh, I do think you had mentioned this, Alex, in the first discussion we had about it. Um, that's in the, the digital heavens. It, yeah, it, listeners, it kind this of, is our, our soft reboot yeah, of our own episodes. That, that's, yeah, that's right. Just like this movie is a soft reboot or a bit of the nerds. But you had mentioned like it surprisingly follows the pattern of this kind of, um, I don't know, what did you call it, like a legacy a throwback sequel? or Yeah, like I remember thinking that this was more of like Revenge of the Jocks, actually, in how it's structured. Because it starts out with like, you know, nerds kind of being on top. Like they got their revenge. And this is like mm-hmm. the movie opens with them very much like basking in the reverie of that. It does. It does. And it uses some. Um... And, and as the title implies, the next generation, you have a whole bunch of new nerds here. So, um, Crasher, do you, what kind of thoughts do you have on some of the new nerds in this film? Because it's quite uh, a larger amount of them than I might have expected. It, it's a mixed bag. I mean, you you can tell that a lot of the nerds, because this was, you can tell that this was a, this TV movie was a backdoor pilot for a Revenge of the Nerds series. Uh, because yep. it gives you all these new nerds with new contracts who are being paid less than the original cast. <laughs> uh, so, and but you know we these the new nerds barely get fleshed out. Like a handful of them, they establish sort of a shtick for them, but that's really all they get. Because you know if it gets a series, we're going to see a lot more of them. But the three that really uh, stand out. Excuse me. Uh, first, there's uh, there's like Steve Toyota, who is sort of the new bo- 
vulgar for the next generation because he does do a couple of gross things, but his shtick is he's an Elvis nerd. He's this Korean guy who's super into Elvis. He has Elvis's pompadour. He wears Elvis's sunglasses, and he even does a whole Elvis musical number when they do the initiation. Not only is he Korean, he's South Korean. Yeah, that's yeah, that's, that's how he explains his accent, which I really like. Although Toyota, I don't believe is a Korean name. I it's believe that's a Japanese. Very Japanese. <laughs> it's like they just you know pulled names from a hat. Yeah. Uh, and of all the new nerds, I think he's the one that I like best, if only because his shtick is very well defined, and I like that he is a pop culture nerd as opposed to like a science nerd. Right. And the and, thing too, and we. Uh, Oh, just saying, and we also know that he's really into student media because he's one of the top editors on the uh, on the, the campus newspaper, as we discover later. Yeah, and that that comes it definitely comes in handy. And also, like, I just love the idea that like, like maybe he like you know um, moved from Korea at a very, very young age, and then he just figured like, well, all the Southerners in the U.S. talk with an accent, so I must be from South Korea, so I guess I should affect an accent. Well, yeah, but there is a South Korea. <laughs> No, there is, obviously, but, like, him not knowing that maybe having, you know, um, immigrated at a young age, thinking that, like, well, the South of any country is the one with the accent, so I'm just going to affect an accent. <laughs> so then the other one that really stands out is played by uh, Chai McBride, who is who is an awesome actor. He's been doing a lot of voice acting recently. If you have seen a Marvel animated series in the last decade and Nick Fury was on it, he was probably voicing Nick Fury. Like that's kind of been his bread and butter uh, recently, but you know, he's uh, like, he's the, uh, the, the current fraternity president and he's just this centurion fellow who's eager to welcome you in. Like everything he says sounds like a grand pronouncement, which I, I really, like that affectation yeah very very regal and dignified and uh, at and, the beginning you have oh go on well they're, they're the final nerd that leaves an impression on me uh is trevor gulf played by john Pinay. and so he's he's a stand-up comedian he sadly has has i believe passed away uh but the thing that's weird about him is that hypothetically he's british but he speaks with an affected British accent, but also he wears a kilt, but also he has like, like a tam o shanter, like he, anything from the British Isles he has. And I have to, and I have to wonder, did he just, did they not have a clear idea in their head what part of Britain he was from? And they just kind of <laughs> let everything, like they just threw everything at him where they wowed by his audition or was the plan, if this went to series, was it going to be revealed? He is, in fact, American, and these are all affectations. Like, he's just a Britain nerd. Right. I think it's just, I, I might just chalk it up to just lazy writing. Um, because it's like the, you know, you've got a Korean dude with a Japanese last name. Um, you kind of have, like, UK miscellaneous guy. Um uh, And then, like, when you get to the computer center, it's like they have a statue. I remember we talked about this last week. Then you get to the computer center, they have a statue of Einstein. It's like, okay, yeah, Einstein, scientist, mathematician, whatever. But, like, not like Alan Turing or someone to do with, like, computing. You know what I mean? Or, or Ida Lovelace. Yeah, there's no one. Right. Like, yeah, the computer center statue is not somebody who has anything to do with computers. Right. I mean, that's not like a nerd computing science deep cut. That's pretty common knowledge these days. And even those days when this was made. 
Oh, and actually, speaking of the Computer Science Center, I actually had notes for this, and they got lost between our first attempt at this episode and now, but there is a name on the Computer Science Center. I looked that person up. It's a musician. It's not um, the name of a mathematician. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, I think one of the anecdotes last week was that um, Albert Einstein is like the, the mathematician uh, science equivalent of uh, a sympathy for the devil. <laughs> Yeah, he he's the one smart person that everybody knows and everyone can agree. On. Yeah, it's a it's a very good it's a very quick uh, default shorthand uh, anecdote. And yet, with, with all these new characters, you didn't mention the two that they set up in the beginning. That you you know, and you were right, uh, Thrasher. This is a this was a backdoor pilot um, because Curtis Armstrong, who plays Booger, noted as such uh in his book and he says it's also true of next week's movie revenge of the nerds 4 which i think is interesting that mm. they're both pilots and they're both you know um heavier throatier attempts than than what we saw yeah with the tv pilot um but it, with the characters they're trying to set up as the main character as uh, the actors as the main characters you have greg binkley plays harold skolnick the uh, nephew of lewis and you have Richard Israel as Ira Pappas, who is is, is um, sort of a analog to Booger in the original film, sort of the more polite, dressed up nerd. Yeah, and Greg Binkley the, is a fairly charming actor. Um, he mm-hmm. was in a couple of Coen Brothers movies and Caf- that Woody Allen film, Cafe Society, that came out a couple of years ago. Oh yeah, right. Um, the, the other in Richard Israel, I don't. I don't notice, and uh, I, I mean, not, not don't not notice, but don't recognize. But with um, just the two of them, there it's not the actors are bad necessarily, but the they just seem so bland, and they don't really have a gimmick that really sticks that makes them stand out as yeah. something different. They're well, not they, that interesting. Well, they, they are just kind of they are just carbon copies of the of the original best friend nerds from the first film. But the other thing is they do have a gimmick because their their whole introduction is they're driving a, a dorky car to this you know song, but the car is loaded with gadgets, which they demonstrate to the the asshole police who pull them over. And like their windshield wiper is a little literal robot hand that comes <laughs> out and moves a sponge of the windshield wiper. They can press a button and the car vac cell vacuums trash out of the ashtray and incinerates it it has like a rear mounted launchable airbag built in radar detector all this like fancy stuff and after introducing this I figured oh well gadgets and gimmicks are going to be a big part of this movie no they never use those gadgets and gimmicks again it's that uh it's that next generation they're much more uh much more innovative I guess (laughs) Like I thought that was going to be their thing is they're the gadgeteers right. and, and, but no, they never, the fact that they can do gadgets never comes up again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's interesting. Cause you have the same, I guess we'll call it revenge of the nerds, like opening, you know, our, our main characters driving a car to a campus destination and then getting to campus. It's basically like, you know, you've got cheerleaders doing E equals MC square, another Einstein reference. Um, you know, like there's no gym. The it's a computer center. Um, you know, the the jock frat house is like all run down and in disarray. And even they're like, we need nerds. They drive our GPA up. 
Well, you know what I love though is like, and, and I thought they were setting because like Bobo, they don't really have an ogre type, which is a big mistake. Yeah. There should be an ogre exactly. type in here, but you have Bobo, who's sort of who I guess is the head of the Alpha Betas now, and he's just kind of a dope. And yet, I thought they were setting him up to turn out to secretly be a nerd because when Bobo meets our antagonists, like the thing he says is. Oh, you are welcome to jo- you are welcome to join our riotous debauch. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's like a total bill. Which is like such time. a highfalutin thing said in such a surfnoid way, but then that was just a joke that never comes back. Right. Like uh, it would be kind of it's like it's a, it's always a good gag when you have like very outwardly like doofy people who are actually like incredibly smart. Like some of the best jokes in Archer is when he says like a very very arcane weird antiquated like inventor of some kind. Or makes a reference to Irving Claw. Yeah, exactly. And so I was kind of hoping for the same thing. Like this Bogo guy will be like, you know, uh, sporadically brilliant, you know, but like with a very fucking duh veneer. And with it being called um, Revenge of the Nerds Next Generation, I was a bit surprised how little it focuses on the new nerds after spending, you know, a decent chunk of time introducing them. Because you have this story of uh, Lewis from the original film is now kind of a, a yuppie and he, he stifles himself when he tries to do the nerd laugh and has a ponytail and that showing him as kind of an asshole all these years later while um, his uh, sort of the antagonist of the, the first film Stan Gable the uh, alpha beta is now a, a campus cop which makes complete sense for his character and he, play, he plays him. Mr. Played by Mr. Darcy to Ted McGinley. Yeah, I, I love that they made him a fucking uh, a campus cop. <laughs> well, it's like it, it's well, he's not even a campus cop. He's on the highway patrol. That's right. And yeah. Like it's, yeah. it's the perfect asshole job for someone. like. Oh, that. totally. Yeah. Those kind of jobs can attract a lot of you know, those kind of personality types, too. And yet, uh, do you think it's a mistake the movie takes so long to bring Booger back? I don't. I feel like it, it, it feels I, I don't mind that they make you wait for it because his introduction, I think, is great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I I was hungry for Booger at that point. Uh, <laughs> so I, I like that they made us wait. That is true. You appreciate more when he comes on screen. I just sort of expected he would be in it more considering how big he is in the films. We. um But just to see uh, Betty and played again by Julia Montgomery back in the series, I think is is really nice, and she just plays that part well, even though they're they're older. I I think it's interesting the whole uh, Lewis dynamic because like making him like a yuppie, and it really is like I mean ninety two. This is like definitely like the height yeah. of like. L.A. yuppie culture, you know, ponytail guy on a big cell phone with a convertible. And that's probably pretty accurate. You probably had a bunch of nerds throughout the 70s and 80s who got, you know, their asses kicked around. And then they got powerful jobs as like, you know, software design, whatever, you know, engineering, uh, uh, you know, things in like up and coming computer companies, um, which I think is interesting. But um, I also I like that that he and Betty are, are going strong. That's that's sweet. Um and yeah, it introduces a, a interesting conflict to the story, which actually kind of got me into it. I was gonna, I was surprised. 
In many ways, it parallels Toxie's journey from the Toxic Avenger 3, The Last Temptation of Toxie. That is very true. Yeah, and you you have in here as well sort of like the love triangle thing going on between Stan and Lewis and Betty, which I wasn't expecting they'd <laughs> lean into that so hard, but that's kind of um, to see how far Betty is willing to go. Well, I also love that Lewis is like, a, a, a true nerd in the sense of that he's like the oblivious cuckold, you know? He's like, oh, hey, yeah, Stan, yeah. Jump, jump in the hot tub with my wife who you used to date. <laughs> and you totally still have the hot yeah. for. Like, it's like right. Ned Flanders level obliviousness. <laughs> so, you know, something else that, that really jumps out with all this, and I almost kind of wish they didn't remind us of this, but there's a whole bit where like you know where uh lewis and uh betty are just kind of talking and flirting it's like do you it's like do you remember like you know we got into hijinks too hey do you remember that panty raid back in the day that's the first time i saw you naked he's like oh you I'm like yeah yeah the first time you saw her naked because you broke into her sorority house <laughs> and set up a surveillance network and recorded them yeah Naked, <laughs> like you—you you didn't have to remind us of that c- crime that went unavenged. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like you could have even done like a soft retcon of that, but no, no, all that happened. We're not going to soften it for this pile. I know. I, I'm surprised there wasn't like a line of dialogue to kind of like, acknowledge that. Like, like, yeah. oh, <laughs> like, and in hindsight, that was a little creepy, Lewis. You know. And in all honesty, I'm surprised they don't get up to anything like that in this film. <laughs> I I kind of appreciate that so far. This is the the least rapey of the nerds. Although, although keep in mind, I bet that's because this was made for TV, even though it was. Oh, yeah. Big time. Yeah, it was made for TV. It was also before. I mean, you had um, Saved by the Bells on TV for a few years by the time this one came on. And. You um, have kind of the feel I mean, it does feel 90s with the the clothing and some of the characters. The rap number, of course, feels just like that early kind of New Jack Swing uh, yeah. rap, which is okay. Yeah, but for, you notice that for like for a movie is, rap, it's pretty not bad, especially for 92. Well, if there's one thing we've learned, they don't phone in their musical numbers in Revenge of the Nerds. That's true. Even the made-for-TV, yeah. uh, you know, part three. Right, they, uh, they're consistent with that. You do get, um, this is a big cast in this, but like Morton Downey Jr., it looks like he was meant to be a bigger presence because they do they, they set him up quite a bit in the beginning and then towards the end he just kind of has some cutaway shots or just is kind yeah. of shouting, telling other people to do stuff. Well, it makes me wonder if he would have like been, if he would have come back if this had gone to series. Oh, yeah, Probably, I can see that, yeah. sure. But Morton, Down- if you want to know everything there is to know about Morton Downey Jr., check out the documentary Evocator. That is a great documentary. But he he was he was a uh, television personality, an American television personality. He was a trash talk show host who just loved to goad his guests, and violence on his set was very common. And and it often was not staged. But then he got. But but then what tanked his career is that he did stage some violence. <laughs> uh, fascinating story. Horrible, horrible person. Yeah, I get that vibe too. It, it definitely channels his character. This is it's interesting. So like, well, I think I warmed to this movie more than I did the previous two. Um, 
that's not to say this is a great film by any means, but there's a lot of story for a 90 minute made for TV movie. Yeah, this is like four episodes because it we, really yeah, is. We get, we get mm-hmm. the new nerds coming in and joining the joining the fraternity. Then we have you know the political shakeup at the college. And then we have the jocks getting their revenge on the nerds and the nerds being outcast and downtrodden again. Then we get the citywide nerd strike. Then we get the nerd strike broken because Lewis is framed for a fraud he didn't commit. And then we have all the court stuff with Booger. And then finally yeah. we have we have Stan coming forward and revealing the who is really behind the fraud. All this stuff. Yeah, you have this like Machiavellian revenge scheme uh, concocted by um, uh, by Martin Downey Jr.'s character, and it's like basically the whole idea behind it is to like to get you know um, the Alpha Betas back as like you know top dog on on campus, and it's just funny. It's like it's like damn dude, that, does that really mean that much to you? To get to the point where like he pulls some <laughs> strings with the fucking school board to get fucking you know Stan as uh nominated as the dean i mean well, yeah it's... yeah because because like they, they mentioned it's mentioned offhandedly that the current dean is going to retire and yeah morton downey jr who's like on the board i guess because he donated a lot of money or something yeah gets pressure to get stan elected and you know as as it's pointed out how does because even the movie is aware of how preposterous that is because he's not an educator he has he's 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 on the highway patrol there is right. no reason why he should be dean of the college if morton downey jr wanted to do the fraud thing he should have gotten lewis elected so he could trick him into committing the fraud and and, right. and the movie and the movie knows this there's even like a newspaper headline that says something <laughs> along like like illiterate cop elected dean or something like yeah that. it says yeah like um yeah it's something like illiterate it says lowest iq of any dean ever i think uh, yeah <laughs> yeah in history <laughs> yeah <laughs> which i thought was that's good slapstick goofy shit HyperX has refined their lightweight Cloudsteiner headset and now proudly presents the evolved Cloudsteiner 2. It still keeps the same rotating ear cups, swivel to mute microphone, and comfort, and now adds two years of premium DTS Headphone X activation. Get even better in-game audio and a number of other refinements for the low, low price of $50. Available now at HyperX.com. Um, yeah, I mean, they hang a lantern on it, but I still find that plot beat kind of unforgivable, even yeah. with the hanging of the it's, lantern. It's I think, you know, it's basically just to get a familiar face as you're heavy, as your bad guy. Um, and it, I, I do like, though, the, like you said, the movie does acknowledge how ridiculous it is. And it is ridiculous, but whatever. It's Revenge of the Nerds 3. Um, I think one thing that actually I, another weird plot beat that I kind of got into was like. The um, the Lewis and Stan like kind of reconciling because I feel like a part of it is like I feel like there's almost some weird sincerity to it, even though it's all kind of part of a scheme. Like you kind of get like, you know, Lewis like helps him like meet a new girlfriend. Um, like you kind of feel like they put their shit behind him and they're like, hey, let's be fucking adults and, you know, hang out. And, and that then, is kind of n- nice because like lewis lewis is a stand-up guy and i'd like and and if he could he probably would be friends with everyone in the world it's just you know with stan they got he got off on such a bad such a bad foot due to the horrible stuff in the first movie yeah exactly but yeah i i just like that like mature beat and like who who hasn't been there you know what i mean where you, you know you see some you know asshole from high school and then you shake hands and say like hey man sorry we're kids but let's be cool now you know 
Well, Certainly, actually, that's it's... never happened to me, but I kind of wish it would. <laughs> well, maybe in my case, I was the asshole. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. I know. I, I thought a few times happened in real life, and it's no. I mean, it's something mature. I think about their relationship, and, and then at the very end, you have the twist that Stan himself is a is a closet nerd. And yes. while that that can't be a bit cheesy, I think the way it's presented in this is is earned as opposed to, you know, it makes more sense compared to like Booger being made an honorary nerd in the second movie. Right. And it, you mean, point, oh, you mean Ogre. You make, or Ogre, sorry. Uh, and, and if you make every bad guy character a nerd, that kind of makes it yeah, the whole concept a little get, toothless. You can overdo you can, yeah. it. Luke, I am your father. Exactly, yeah. Although, why couldn't they have evil nerds getting revenge? That might make for an interesting dynamic. I think that'd be more interesting. I also think what would be more interesting is you get a little uh, plot thread that they don't follow, but uh, when Martin Downey Jr. is introduced as uh, the main heavy, he's saying, well, when I was in school, we really took over the nerds in the 50s, and it made me think, wow, you know, what would a Revenge of the Nerds movie in the 50s be like? Uh, You know, technology. Yeah. well, you know, by the end of season two, they'd be so desperate for stories, someone would invent a time machine and they would probably travel <laughs> back in time and, and be a part of that. Yeah. Either a time machine or a flashback. And you have things like, oh, they built a robot, but it took a whole house to power a computer <laughs> or a robot that just has zeros and ones or something. Right, like, like, a, a, steam, like a steampunk robot. Like a steampunk sort of thing. And then also just sort of a, a leave it to beaver kind of attitude with the... The jocks is compared to the more football, sport, team, jock stuff. I mean, yeah, you could do something with that time period, and that would at least be that different. This one, they don't call um, pot, pot. They they call it other stuff. Yeah. You always have to make up a fake name, you know? You, you still see them smoke joints and stuff, which I don't know if they do that nowadays if it was a TV movie. But it um, they just have to pull their punches and that's and I, that that hurts it in a way but in another way it's more of a character piece and less kind of skeevy let's commit sex crimes to a <laughs> uh, you yeah. know at a synth score so i gotta talk about a gag on this that really worked for me but it's also a gag straight out of a cartoon sure. as some of this movie is is like the Elvis musical number, uh, which is uh, when the nerds finally go about getting their revenge. Um, uh, Morton Downey Jr. is having some problems with the water pressure at his place. So two of the nerds show up as plumbers and they don't hang too fine a point on it, but they are dressed like like off-brand Mario and Luigi. Right. Uh, when they show up and, and so they rig his pipes so that it sprays like white and red dye. So when he comes out of the shower, he has red and white stripes like all over his body. And he even does all this mugging where he's like, Oh God, no. And he's like <laughs> flailing around in his, in, in the bathroom. And, and, he, and to this movie's credit, those stripes stay on him for the rest of the movie. <laughs> and, and it's just like a thing. And there's this great bit where he goes into the office and he's talking with Stan uh, and, and Stan's like, as a, wow, you know, you look, you look just like a candy cane. Well, I was going to say barber pole. And then later, when the nerd strike shuts down all computer networks and the power plant, and so no one can get gas, they go by, uh, they go by uh, a gas station, and the gas station attendant is 
Mr. Krabs from SpongeBob SquarePants and the Kurgan from Highlander, friend of the show. Oh, uh, Clancy yeah. Brown? Yeah, Clancy Brown, which is yeah. great. Like, I love that he's just there. Uh, and, and and when he's talking to and Clancy Brown's kind of offhand, he says, you know, buddy, uh, you look uh, you look kind of like, I know, I know, a barber pole. Well, actually, I was going to say candy cane. <laughs> like, <laughs> I love that, uh, like, it's a perfect example of that truism this is a piece of advice I got from Conan O'Brien. Conan O'Brien got it from Jerry Lewis, and Jerry Lewis got it from Stan Laurel. You tell the audience what you're going to do. Then you do it. Then you tell them it's been done. And that is a <laughs> perfect example of that kind of joke construction. Very, very, very true. Um, and it is a, it's a good gag, and I think... Um, the uh like the elaborate like you know kind of prank war is that like you know the jocks like their quote pranks is basically just like vandalism and assault like they don't really get too creative with it whereas you know the, which, the, yeah, yeah which, even, even, which even then that's all the nerds need is to press charges for assault because there's yeah. witnesses and evidence <laughs> and it's shocking that that doesn't work and the nerds are the ones who end up in jail yeah exactly um it's uh it almost seems like they go it's like i'm not gonna say they go like too hard in like you know setting them up with like you know i think like going into like legal trouble is a little um maybe a little overboard you know but uh, I, there is a good gag though where they um plant the dope on the uh lambda lambda house and then um the uh, fucking head of the house is basically like, we don't want our, uh, basically, we don't want our kids coming out like you, pointing to Booger. And he's like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, I like that Booger is self-deprecating. And also, yeah. I got to say, lawyer is kind of the perfect skeezy job for oh, Booger. Like a Better Call Saul <laughs> style lawyer. And, he, you know? and he's... And when he's introduced, he's like, well, I've got, well, you know, I can't come up just yet. I've got a meeting. And then we see he is literally in his car chasing an ambulance. <laughs> yeah. And you also get the feeling that Booger probably didn't actually, like, pursue law school, but he probably just got brought up on so many, like, possession charges that he actually was like, oh, I, I'm, like, I'm learning by doing. I can see that. I, I, I guess the one thing that is kind of creepy about it is when he talks about how, no, I want to, I, I, no, I want to recapture those glory days. I want to move back into the frat house. Uh, I want to, I want to, like, smoke pot in the quad. I want to date college girl. <laughs> I guess that's probably the most offensive part of the movie is, is right. his, his lust for college girls. <laughs> Which they don't really expound upon, thankfully. They, um, I mean, it's it's nice, too, with Booger. You, as you mentioned in the introduction, he's a lawyer. He's well-dressed. And then he shows up at this party in the classic uh, black leather jacket with a T-shirt with the holes in it. And it was just... Uh, a moment that I think works when you see him in his old nerd form, as opposed to when you see Lewis, it, it tries to do this thing where he puts all the different clothes on and then uh, takes the, the water gun and shoots it in the mirror. But like it, it's, it's, it, the music or the way it's edited, just like it doesn't quite land as heavy as it should. Well, I feel like Rambo they, they, they're, trying, right. they're trying to do Rambo, but then they're also trying to turn it into Taxi Driver. But then, like, yeah, the whole yeah. thing where he's got, like, the motorized squirt gun, I thought, oh, well, that's going to come back. That looks like a real gun, so he's going to use it for something. No, it never comes back. It's just for that one joke. 
And like that's again like so he's holding a gun. You're like, all right, kind of dark, but it's all. I mean, in the back of your head, you're like, you know, they're building towards something with it. And then he squirts it, and like I was like, okay, that's not from um, that's not a reference to another movie aside from a, like Taxi Driver. It's not a reference to like any other film in the nerd canon. Um, and it doesn't come up later, and it's just to like. It doesn't really emphasize anything. Like, are nerds known for playing with guns or squirt guns? Like, I don't think so. Um, I almost, like, thought, like, he was going to, like, have, like, hair gel in it or something and, like, squirt his hair or something and, like, <laughs> part it funny. Mm. I was like, that would that would be a gag, but it's just there to be there and it doesn't really work. And the other thing, too, my qualm with the montage is, that, like, yeah, get your old pocket protector out. Get your doofy glasses out of storage. Yada, yada. Um but, like, the whole thing with, like, the stereotypical, like, oh, like, fucking nerds, like, mismatching socks and, like, your shirt's not buttoned properly. And that's not, like, affected for style's sake. It's really just a representation of, like, you were up late fucking studying too late. You're writing your dissertation. Mm-hmm. And then, you, you know, you wake up five minutes late for class, so you throw on the first thing you see and stumble out the door. Like, yeah. No one wakes up and is like, I'm a nerd. Time to put on the wrong colored socks. Time to, like, button my shirt in the wrong way. Like, no one actually tries to do that. So I think that's kind of, like, another kind of lazy uh, example of kind of, like, not so good writing in this. Is that, like, like the Einstein thing, um, the Toyota thing, is that it's just kind of, like, it's a little lazy. It's almost like it wasn't written by nerds. Which is probably the nerdiest thing I could ever say. But I could maybe see that, and which is weird because you know screenwriting is an inherently nerdy profession uh, in in many ways. But every now and then, some uh, jock sneaks through. We've all yeah. seen Boondock Saints. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, the there. Okay, so I I always have to bring this up because like there I when like it's when my dad laughs out loud at something on television that always sticks with me. And that happened because I saw a good chunk of this movie when it originally aired. My, my parents were watching it. And when, when uh, the new nerds first go to the Trilam house, they ring the doorbell and what plays on the doorbell is a, is the riff from super Mario brothers three. It's not the iconic Mario theme. It's that do, 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 do. And it's the actual thing from Nintendo. And like, you know, I was playing a lot of Mario 3 at the time, and that plays, and my dad just starts bawling. He just, oh, ha, ha, ha! Like, <laughs> and so, like, at least they got that right. Yeah, that was um, that was a good gag, and a very specific one, because Mario 3 was the shit. Oh, absolutely. That, that was an epic fucking game. I played the hell out of that. Hey, do you remember when you could squat on that uh, white like yes. brick, and then you would fall, and you could run, when- th- you could run behind, behind. the level? You were literally behind the scenes. That is amazing. Yeah, that was so much fun. I got I love that game. Yeah, to get this ready to see the eyes running behind the bushes and stuff. Yeah. It's a neat effect. Um, with all this stuff, like with the court case, like I, I wish the court, as intricate as the setup goes, I mean, how, how they solve the court case is kind of humdrum, but you have this sort of moment where, oh, look, look who shows up, and, and you start getting cameos. Of some characters from the first film, but then they make them. Uh, I, I think it's a mistake where you have some characters that return, but they're played by obviously different actors. We do get Burn Casey as UN Jefferson, though. We do get the original Takashi Toshiro, uh, Brian Tochi. He he shows up. Uh, yeah, there's a good gal. Uh, okay, the one, Lamar, that, the one that's. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the original Lamar, who's like, 
uh, like now like a model living in Paris, a model, not a fashion designer. But, you know, maybe he. he... I think that tracks for his character, though. I I could see that, although I I, I, at the same time, I think I would like I would I want to see him putting his nerdery to good use. I want to see him as a like a fashion designer, like a fashion magazine editor. The one that jumps out, though, um, Sean Whalen comes in as Harold Wormser. He was the child prodigy nerd, but of course enough time has passed that he'd have to be an adult uh, by this point. Um, and he's played by, so Sean Whalen, Sean Whalen did like a lot of Hot Pockets commercials. Like if you needed a weird, rail thin, weaselly, weird teenage guy in a commercial, he did that for like <laughs> over a decade, probably well into his thirties. Uh, and right. you know, they, He's like, hey, he's like, did, like, hey, Wormser, did you ever get laid or get yourself a girlfriend or something? I forget what the exact word is, what the setup is, but but the punchline is, no, even better, I'm a gynecologist. And then he turns yeah. to the camera. He looks at the camera and does this lascivious eyebrow wiggle, which is the most disturbing thing I have ever seen. Yeah, that's creepy. That's, uh, oh. that, that, that feels uh, akin to the first film. Oh, but I do want to say they they do make so you know again he's a child prodigy in the first movie he's an adult now but they do make reference to how much time has passed between the different movies like there, there's just some throwaway dialogue about how long ago certain things were and the th- and if you take those things into account then the first movie had to have taken place in the seventies. Like in the mid seventies, uh, because because and and I can kind of understand how they did that because assuming the nerds got four year degrees or six year master's degrees, um, Lou Lewis and everybody else would have only been out of college for like a year when this movie happened. Yeah. So I can understand why they want to accelerate the timetable, but at the same time, they're nerds. You could just say, oh, they're so brilliant that they rapidly accelerated to this position. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. We're the Spirit Hunters, and we're a show that treats Hunter Hunter and Yu Hakusho's author as the center of the universe. Some weeks we do linguistic analysis. The Chinese meaning of this character is to smelt or refine, but so the changed meaning in Japanese it means to temper. Other times, we get absolutely smashed. So we take one shot every time. Yusuke uses the ray gun. One hour later. This is the least coherent episode. Check us out at the HyperX Podcast Network. Explode When Defeated presents something really neat and full of meat. Those children aren't going to protect themselves in a brand new podcast series about everyone's favorite giant reptile. Godzilla? No, we already did that one. Rodan? No, we did that one too. Gorgo? Gamera. We're talking about Gamera. From turtles to medieval samurai golems on our new series, Demolition Die. Only on the HyperX Podcast Network. Right, so you you get... Oh, but the character they have playing... The actor they have playing Gilbert... Mike Greenwood doesn't really look that much like him. And I, I wonder if that was part of a gag because they, they wanted to get um, the original actor back, but he was busy filming the pilot to ER at the same time. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Interesting. But, you know, so, you know, leverage uh, Revenge of the Nerds to be in movies like Top Gun and, and uh, stuff like that. So he, it really was um, something to, to just see people that just don't resemble the original characters and it could be better if they just didn't have those characters there? Or do you like that they <laughs> made an attempt to make it seem like uh, a reunion because that I, was a big thing with know, the story? I feel like they had enough 
like they had a pretty good amount of the reg, uh, of actual recurring cast members come back. You didn't really need to pad it anymore. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it'd be nice to have the whole gang, but like you got like four of them. That's pretty damn good. You know, I kind of wish that they kind of took it farther and just like had him played by like a black guy. <laughs> like if, if you've already right. like, well, we're not going to get the original actor. We're not going to get somebody who looks like the original actor. Just make it just make it a new gag. You just know? lean into it. Exactly. Certainly. So overall, would you recommend Revenge of the Nerds 3 of the Next Generation? I would. I think it. there's some, some charming thing about some of the new characters it's um the, the story with with lewis i think was a bit surprising and all right good uh i saw that in the chat great um and all that and it, it i think it has it does more stuff with the story than i was expecting so i would give it a sequel yes um thrasher i i would give it a, a mild sequel yes i mean there's nothing particularly offensive about this movie it is a valiant attempt to try to turn this franchise into a television series. I think Morton Downey Jr.'s performance is very entertaining. Most of the performances are very entertaining. I, I, I like, you know, I, I like Toyota. And maybe that is because I'm just a big fan. Like, I'm an Elvis fan. And I like that this seems to be an attempt to have genuine Elvis fan. Like, a, his fandom with Elvis is not an affectation. It seems very genuine, and I do appreciate that. Um, and it's fun just it's it's fun seeing Booger a bit more front and center. You know, it's 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 at this point that you re you can clearly tell they realized, oh, Booger's the heart and soul of this franchise. He can carry a movie, which is why the next one's going to be much more Booger focused. And Alex. Yeah, I am actually quite surprised. I like this more than I really thought I was going to. And um, for the first time in this franchise, I will uh, give this movie, again, a very, very, very slight uh, sequel. Yes, it's by no means a great film. But I'll say, I mean, the story, you know, the plot was enough to get me into it. Um, I, I was invested in the characters and the uh, the story had good momentum, a little there's a lot going on, but I don't think that's really to the film's detriment. So a very slight sequel, yes. Um, so far, these nerds, I've, I've enjoyed the watching the most. <laughs> yeah, it's it's never boring. On balance, it is entertaining. Yeah. Great. So, on to what you're watching. Um, I watched a, a new movie by... Um, Robert Zemeckis, a director we've talked about before on the show way, way Ooh. back when we discussed Back to the Future. Uh, this is the Disney, uh, straight to Disney Plus movie Pinocchio. Oh. Where it's it's live action, but Pinocchio is CG, so is all the creatures. In fact, there's so much like CG in here, it makes you wonder why it wasn't animated. Uh, why the whole thing just This wasn't is the animated. other Pinocchio film of 2022. <laughs> There's been a few. There's one with uh, a Russian animated one with probably Shore voiced Pinocchio. Wait, what? Yeah, that came out like in April. Oh, wow. Because Guillermo del Toro is doing an animated Pinocchio, too. I, yeah, I that one, wait I don't want, yeah, the Guillermo del Toro one, I think, is stop motion or something. And it, yeah, yeah. Out, um, I think in December on Netflix, uh, as of at least according to the time it says it's as of this recording. So, yeah, that one. Looks cooler with Ewan McGregor as Jimmy Cricket. This one, as Jimmy Cricket, they have um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, 
who just kind of imitates the sound of the original person. And I mean, this one, you can really tell that the original Pinocchio, I I think a pretty short cartoon. And this one, they, the movie's about two hours and they just really stretch it out Mm. with um, musical numbers and just trying to give more business to the story and have more characters and talking animals and stuff that just really isn't needed. Even the whale at the end, they give tentacles like all and have a chase sequence. Uh, of course. Hmm. Um, Tom, Tom Hanks as Geppetto is just annoying. <laughs> yeah, he's been doing I, some weird stuff lately. Um, like the Elvis film I thought was great, but uh, like he kind of like has this like weird like like almost like Fu Manchu-y affectation to his voice. Like it's, it's yeah, a, it's a it's a broad performance in Pinocchio as well, where it's a lot of now you be a good boy, Pinocchio. <laughs> Right, I mean, there was Don't you lie. movie, I, I saw that one too, was by Baz Luhrmann, and um, I mean, it is a pretty sanitized version of the Elvis story, but you, you, you get a lot of good acting, a lot of creative editing in there, and then, then it mentions his, his influences a lot in the beginning, I thought it was good, but then they do things like blow through Elvis's career, like in two, movie career, like in two minutes, yeah. in a montage. I, you know, it's it's funny because I do not like Baz Luhrmann. I've seen every one of his movies, and I don't. No, well, no, I take that back. I've I've seen most of his movies. It's most well known, and I don't like any of them. Actually, I'll go as far as to say I just downright despise them. Um, and then I was like, all right, Elvis, I'm hearing great things, and I'll say I think Elvis is the most Baz Luhrmann Baz Luhrmann movie I've seen, and I fucking loved it. It out Baz Luhrmann's Moulin Rouge. Yeah, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah, especially in the oh, first God. twenty minutes. I didn't think it especially was possible. In the, first, in the first twenty minutes, it gets really, really manic with how it hops around with the hallucinations and hopping around in time and stuff. And it kind of comes down. It does. Um, I mean, yeah, I do think Tom Hanks is miscast as, as Colonel Parker. There was a TV movie that now they've retitled Elvis: The Early Years. That's on 2B. It's it's like three hours or something. But the, the actor they have playing Colonel Tom Parker, Elvis's manager, is Randy Quaid. Oh, really oh wow. That, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. He manages to be like both charming and an asshole. And Tom Hanks's performance, he, uh, Colonel Parker is, you know, scheming and presenting him as, a, as certainly the bad guy of the story. But I would never say he seems like, uh, you know, he just seems like a sleazy con man, but he's not like the the part of the con man where it's like, Oh, I could see I being conned by this guy. Right. <laughs> because I, he plays the guy is like greasy and screaming the whole time. I think the thing that works best is the scene where they're going through like various Elvis merchandise. And like, I think his mother finds a sticker that says like, I hate Elvis. And he basically, I forget what he says, but he's basically like, Hey, make money from both sides of the spectrum. I'm like, ah, ha, ha. <laughs> so brilliant. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's funny. Baz Luhrmann is the only is one of the directors that can make me feel like an old man, like so hard. Like I'm always like, ah, this is too loud. What's going on? This is too much going on. Ah, I've got a headache. I need to shut this off. You know, sure. if you if you want to see insufferable comedy that dates the worst of all <laughs> comedy, find like anti-Beatles and anti-Elvis comedy from like the 50s and 60s. Oh, Bob Hope. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, or or uh, St- the Stan Freeberg. 
uh, the the uh, Alan Sherman, like the, those are awful. <laughs> and the thing, although I did discover part of the reason why that comedy is so awful is that it did come from a place of legitimate hatred because these new pop and rock acts were knocking them off the charts. Exactly. They're, they're spiteful is what it was. And spite's not yeah. funny. Certainly. Um, Thrasher, what's something you've been watching? So I decided to go back and uh, rewatch a classic. Uh, I watched the uh, classic Irvin Yeworth uh, film, The Blob. Yes. From, yes, yes, yes. From 1958. Because um, I hadn't seen it in, in ages. I loved this movie when I was a kid. It's always kind of held up as a classic creature feature. It is in the Criterion Collection, which I think is is great. Uh and, and it is all those things, but it is also like looking at it with like adult eyes. It is such a well-constructed horror movie. Like everything that would go on to be a cliche and like slashers and later like teen focused monster movies. It happens for a reason here. Like there's a reason why it takes forever for the adults in the town to realize that <laughs> there's a blob eating people like there's right. a, there's a story reason. And like the, it's lo- there's lots of really neat process shots. The craft of filmmaking is amazing. There are shots with the blob where it does confuse your head and you'll think, well, how did they do this shot without a computer? Blobs can't move like that. Right. Like, in one shot that is not stop motion, you will see the blob move, like, up and down and get bigger and get smaller and do these things. It It is just, it's just, like, so well done. And it also has an ending. It has an ambiguous ending that gets more horrifying every year. Because, you know, hey, spoilers for a movie from 1958. <laughs> but the ending is they discover that the blob's weakness is cold. And that's the way they defeat the blob is they manage to freeze it. And the Air Force puts it on a pallet and drops it in the Arctic. And there's even a line where it's like, you know, will we, are we really get, are we really safe now? And the, the main, and, you know, Steve McQueen says... Well, as long as the Arctic stays cold. And then there's this shot of, of the, <laughs> the frozen blob on a glacier and the words the end come up and then the, the end melts into a question mark. Well, guess what's not there anymore? The <laughs> Arctic glacier they dropped it on. That would be the ultimate blob reboot remake there. Yeah, I am honestly shocked it didn't happen. Now, there is an 80s blob remake. Amazing Which, movie. You should yes, watch that, that too. Movie. It, it perfectly recontextualizes the blob in the socio-political period of the 80s. And also, the effects, again, lots of practical effects, lots of process shots. And they still do amazing things where you'll wonder, well, how the hell did they do this shot without computers? Like, it's, Oh, yeah. It's a, now, there is a pseudo-comedy sequel, Son of Blob, directed by, uh, di- directed by the guy uh, who played... Uh, who played uh, Jr. Oh crud! Now I'm trying to remember his. Oh yeah, Larry Hagman, uh, directed <laughs> by Larry Hagman. It's it's entertaining. It's not that good, but like if you if you're looking at film legacies, Blob and the remake of the Blob, two impeccable films. You should definitely check them out. Yeah, the Blob rocks, and like the uh, the the end question mark. That's like the ultimate question mark ending. Um, that's been parodied like a. Ju- 
a gazillion times. Um, I think that that's the movie. I don't want to say the first one to do it, but it's the one that did it the best. Yeah. Oh, and it also it's something that I didn't realize until getting my pre-search together uh, for this episode. But the blob was originally the B picture paired with I Married a Monster from Outer Space, which was originally presented as kind of like a more heady, thoughtful science fiction film. The blob uh-huh. was such an outright was such an over-the-top success that the billings flipped and the blob became the a picture and i married a monster from outer space became the b picture oh cool oh and you know what's weird this is a full color movie and the colors are absolutely gorgeous and yet whenever you see a still from the movie it's always in black and white like even on streaming services which is where i saw it like all of like the, the little preview image, it's all stark black and white, I guess, because it's such an old movie. They wouldn't think you'd believe it's in color or something. Right. Yeah, maybe that's all they had for the publicity photos. Yeah, that, that's always different when so, um, they oh, do rock that and theme it... song, too. Oh, by but, Bird Back Rock, yeah. The blob, it creeps, it leaps, yeah. it goes yeah. outdoors. That's it. Get stuck in your head very quickly. A good um, <laughs> little ditty. Alex, what's something you've been watching? Oi, oi, oi. So I have the pleasure to see the latest Park Chan Wook film, Decision to Leave. Mm. And if you're not familiar with Park Chan Wook, he's just one of the best. Like of the Korean, uh, South Korean, um, like premier directors, he's, I mean, Old Boy exploded onto the scene as a whole revenge trilogy, vengeance trilogy. Uh, it's incredible. Um, and he's, I think, like, just like Bong Joon-ho, he's just been getting better and better every year. And Decision to Leave is this, like, it's this very, like, taut kind of neo-noir pseudo-murder like, mystery. But it's got these, like, very, like, like I don't mean strictly in a sexual way, but, like, a very, like, fetishistic kind of, um, like, voyeurist relationship between its protagonist and, I guess you could say, pseudo antagonist it's a it's a fascinating like um i don't want to say erotic thriller that sounds reductive but it's a really 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 precisely um constructed uh very stylish movie um from a director who i think's really operating at the peak of their powers um it's um i should be streaming on mubi um the streaming platform which is a great platform is worth it just for anything but um uh it's a really fascinating film and i'm happy pleased as punch to see park chan wook um you know back uh making films in korea i think the last thing he did was the miniseries little drummer girl which is a john Lacari adaptation which is actually really great um but uh yeah no this is a this is a great flick i i would big time recommend it to anyone who hasn't seen it that's great yeah i mean so much is um coming I mean, on so quickly on streaming services these days you don't have to wait very long and it's, something it's, new you want to see it's got one of i think the coolest um fist fights i've seen in a modern uh action movie <laughs> nice nice very good all right so we have our sequel scene here thrasher um do you see it alex should be in the chat yes and it's, it's like two yeah, so, characters so why don't you set yeah. the scene So it's Dudley uh, Booger Dawson, uh, Esquire, and Malcolm Pennington III. And uh, this is when they are having... their their uh mixer with booger uh in the uh in the alphabet or not in the alphabet in the trilam house uh 
and you know it's 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 where we get the culture class between the way nerd nerdery was done when Booger was in college versus the way these new nerds do things, uh, and you know the, and and it finally comes to a head in this little exchange. Who wants to play uh, which part? I'd like to play Booger. Okay. Uh, I guess I'll, I'll do play. Uh, Malcolm Penny. Oh no, if you want to do it, go ahead. Yeah, I'll do I'm Malcolm Penny. Okay, great. Um, start the scene. You don't eat meat. You don't do drugs. What's wrong with kids today? We've had the benefit of learning from your generation's mistakes. We believe in just say no. So with all due respect, we won't turn out like you. Oh, well, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned this gag earlier, Alex, and just the way he does that pause and the look on his face and how he turns around. It's just a... Uh, Good timing in that gag. Uh, next week, we'll be talking about Revenge of the Nerds for Nerds in Love about fetal unborn sons, among other things. It's, um, <laughs> uh, they run that joke into the ground, as we'll talk about next week. But yeah, this is uh, a movie that when I first heard about it, I thought, this is a joke. This movie doesn't exist. And then the, the Fox would sometimes, um, or Comedy Central would put it in repeats. And I was like, oh, wow, this is... Um, this exists. So, you know, Nerds in Love is sort of like the... If, if you have In Love in a title it's in a sequel, it's almost like In Space. It's one oh, of those yeah. things like, oh, oh what, what, what's going <laughs> to come out of this? But yeah, <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter at M-A-T-W-B-T, uh, Thrasher. You can follow me on Twitter uh, at WT2Art.com at WT2Art. And Alex. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Crab Nebula 1914. All right, so for Sequel Cast 2, this is Matt. This is Thrasher. This is Alex. Saying. You've become the worst kind of nerd, a self hating one. We've got Japanese eggplant for dinner. Thank you.